of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 527. Jason Lingren is with me, as is Karen B. Uh, we're going to talk about crystals. And actually, this is near and dear to my heart. I have used crystals over the last, I don't know, four or five years to be one component in reprinting my house, which we'll talk about as we get in. When I first set out to reimprint my house, I was dubious. I wasn't sure that I had the chops or if it could even be done. Well, cut to the chase, it can be done. And I have done it. But with that, we'll jump in. Welcome, Jason. And a hot Louisiana morning it is. Anything you want to add or shall we crystallize? Let's make it crystal clear. Welcome, Karen B. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, Karen, before we begin, let's get the contact info out there. The best way to find me is to go to flatearthfestivals.com or flattoberfest.com. If you go to those URLs, you can find the information about all my events. There's a menu item that says contact Karen B and you can click there and I have links to all my channels on Rockfin, Twitch, Rumble, all those different places because YouTube is up and down. All right, well, here we be. How about if we start this way? I will state where my idea about crystals changed. And that was when I first heard an old occulted description of how life came to be. And it goes like this. The most basic and most stationary form of life is crystals. Therefore, they were first in our world. They were followed by the plant kingdom, and that can be tracked back as there are minerals that make up crystals in plants. Next came the animal kingdom. That can be tracked back as there are plant matter and minerals and animals. Next along the line comes us, and that can be tracked back in the same way all the previous kingdoms can be found in us. And in that, I went back and I began to consider our crystals alive. And the more that I looked at it, I finally realized how could it be that we ever decided that they were not? With that, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I agree 100%. Crystals are definitely alive. And in fact, recently I started to think that they're just not, not only are they alive, but they're sort of alive in a different way than we are. They're immortal because they're ever present. Like you said, they were here first. I agree with that. They were definitely here first. And it actually says that in scripture, if you ask me, which is one of the big clues that kind of started me getting on this trip and going even deeper into crystals from the beginning, from where I started, which was with Cami. My friend Cami Nodell, because she came and stayed with me. And, you know, we're, we've done a lot of background back and forth trying to sort of figure out the nature of this realm and how it works and what it is, just as everybody else has been. And when she came here to my house, she started showing me how many rocks and crystals were actually around my property, which I had never really paid that much attention to when I first moved here. And that was back in 2019, I think, 2018, 2019. And then from then on, I just started rock hounding on my own property because I have this creek that goes through the back of my property. And I just started finding tons and tons of quartz, smoky quartz, clear quartz, milky quartz, just all kinds. Then I started finding tourmalines and quartz with tourmaline in it. What color tourmalines, if you don't mind? Black tourmaline, mostly okay. around here. Green in San Diego, green and black. Yeah. Green, green tourmaline is actually really, I've seen, I've found some pieces that where it looks kind of greenish too, but mostly where what I find is black. 
And then I just started realizing, wow, it's like they're everywhere. And it's literally just bleeding out of the ground. You know, you could just walk around. Some of these crystal mines, you could just walk around and you don't even have to dig. They're surface finds. They're just on the ground. <laughs> and a good rain will wash some of them out, you know. So that's that's sort of where I'm at with it, too. So just a moment of side. Rose is pinging me, telling me about a mandatory episode since you mentioned Cammy, The Double Sun episode, where I guess we have Cammy on that episode, is 365 She's expert in filters, which I am not, and there's a lot to be gleaned from that. But to get back to the point, check this out. So I used to go on, my favorite place in San Diego is in the hills since I was young. I would have rather been there than anywhere, just hiking wherever I could hike. There was this one place we would go and they used to mine, I think it was actually silver, but there's like these big quartz veins that goes through the whole mountain. Now, the people in charge of it. Now I'm told it's blocked off and you have to pay and have a license and all this nonsense to walk in these places, but they, they put fire break paths. So the fire department can get in. So they bring this big, heavy equipment and they redo the trails. So I walked in there one day and I got, you know, I was looking down the trail and it was glittering green, the whole trail. And I went up to where the heavy equipment had resurfaced the trail, which is about 10 feet wide. And they had hit green tourmaline and just completely pulverized it. There were handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of this just pulverized green tourmaline. And I thought, well, wow, you know, we can find some tourmaline. And we looked and looked and looked. We found some small pieces, but I guess they had hit just a vein or whatever it's properly called and just decimated it. But the volume of the crushed tourmaline was incredible. But that's my big tourmaline story. The only other one is my nephew on a different hike found a piece of white quartz with a perfect black tourmaline crystal growing out of it. Mm -hmm. And by the way, from what I understand, tourmaline can have some value. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different kinds of tourmaline, but yeah, it's really pretty. There, there's multiple colors. You can get watermelon tourmaline where it's like pink on one end and green on the other, which is sort of like... I like to show people that to show that crystals, like what you're talking about, how they're like, they're sort of really unique because they're like solid form of light and sound. And they each have their own frequency and their own dominant oscillatory rate and sort of, and the color, just like everything else is color coded, sort of lets you know what that rate is. But I love it when tourmaline especially has those opposite colors because they're opposite colors on the color wheel is what you'll see on these um, tourmalines. And it's like expressing the polarity in a color form, that polarity that you find in everything. So what's interesting is you're, you're stating in your notes, you, you wrote it down as trapped light and sound in solid form, which also matches the old occult idea of the most stationary form of, of, uh, of life. But so they have their own geometry too, right? Which got me thinking because when I was a kid, my father had gotten me a microscope and because um, I told him I wanted to be a scientist when I was young and he took table salt and they were little cubes and I was amazed by it. But now all these years later, consider, you know, we know common table salt. You probably shouldn't be eating it, but it's the angles of sorrow, isn't it? Little cubes. And so as I got into crystals, knowing more about geometry, I began to realize, and for people who do something like astrology and know the beneficiary or the you know the beneficent angles, that would apply to crystals too, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like 
all of the crystals have in them the platonic solid forms. Like those are from crystals, right? All those forms that we know of, the tetrahedron, the octahedron, the icosahedron, all those forms are, those angles are, are show up in crystals repeatedly. And there's seven crystal systems and they all, that's how you identify different crystalline forms because one will look just like another. And sometimes you can't tell just visually by looking at it, but you can tell by the, by testing the refractive index of it and looking at the angles that the crystal is growing. And then you'll be able to tell what it is, but yeah, absolutely. And it's all related to the divine proportion. So seven systems is, so are you saying that the seven systems are based on the common platonic solids? Because I saw recently someone break out that the platonic solids are basically just the most popular, that there's a crop load more than that. And I've never looked into it, but is that what you're referring to when you say the seven systems? Is that based on? Yeah, there's seven crystal systems that are recognized officially, like in in gemology or how they identify crystals. There's seven crystal systems. It's cubic, hexagonal, tetragonal, trigonal, orthrhombic, monoclinic, and triclinic. Wow. So that's basically what the bonds make at the at the molecular level, right? They're based out of these seven crystal systems. Which is basically geometry, right? Right. It's basic geometry. So when someone has, like, it always amazes me. I used to watch the gem and crystal collector shows. By the way, I'm not really down with it because I'm not down with how they destroy natural places to get them. I think that needs to be fixed, but it never will. But they would take a stone and people think they know what it is. And the expert take a look and say, no, this is, you know, this is a diamond or something else. And he has a loop. So is he basically just looking at the geometry inside? Yeah, you can look at looking at the geometry, the growth, and also the growth patterns. Sometimes if you look at them really closely, like on a diamond, you'll see um, little growth patterns in the shape of a triangle on the surface of the diamond where it feels really flat. But if you look at it under a microscope, you can see the growth patterns and that'll also tell them what type of crystal it is. So will you find the angles of sorrows and crystal uh, that you're familiar with? In other words, if you took a square that 90 degree right angle. Uh, do we find that in crystals that you're aware of? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, salt is a, is a cube crystal. Pyrite actually grows naturally in perfect cube form. There's other crystals that do it, but yeah, that you'll find naturally perfect little cube crystals grown in the matrix, just like that. That's just how they grow. So I've told the story before, but I got to tell it again. Derek Condit, has a big crystal shop and he's clairvoyant, like real deal clairvoyant, not fake clairvoyant. And he starts sending me crystals because he realized I was collecting them. I didn't even realize the size of his crystal shop. So I have this big apophysite and it's blue with white crystals growing all over it. And it's like 25, 30 pounds. It's big. And turns out when I went to the shop, the lady was aware of the show and she gave me like an incredible deal on this thing. I never would have bought it, whatever it was for 500 bucks. I think she gave it to me for like 200 bucks. And this is when I was setting out to re-imprint my house. And a puff site was one of the ones that I wanted. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to Derek Condit and he goes, you're not going to believe this. I have the other half of that crystal. So he sends me a picture back. He's got this big honking other side of it. You can even see where they fit together. So by chance, he had acquired the other half of a crystal that I acquired, uh, him on the West Coast, me on the East Coast. You know anything about apophysite? It's one of my favorites, by the way. Mm, no. Apoph- is it apophysite or is it apophyllite? 
I think it's Apophyllite. I'm not very good at it's Apophyllite. It's it's the okay. an, yeah reminds me of the angelic. Yeah. Yes. Apophyllite. Yeah. I have some Apophyllite. Yes. Yeah. That's really amazing stuff. Like you can get them. They'll they'll form and they look like little crystalline Hershey's kisses. You can get them. They look like the the loose crystal form that they grow in. I don't know if you've seen them in that form. It's probably it's different than what you're talking about. It takes, but a lot of these crystals they take multiple forms, right? They'll grow in different shapes. Like even quartz, especially quartz, is like one of the most dynamic crystal types. So it'll grow in like that that hexagonal uh, form that has a terminates to a point on the top that everybody's familiar with. It also grows in different shapes, like the Herkimer diamond. If you look up Herkimer diamond, that's also quartz. It's the same material, but in that particular location. The crystals grow and terminate in a di- little slightly different form. Um, so a lot of these minerals have have a, like at least two or three different shapes that they'll grow in. And what what makes the difference of that? I don't know. Just the condition of of that particular uh, little pocket when it forms, I guess. <laughs> so the the big one I have is like I guess what I would say an aqua green with the white crystallization growing on it. Mm-hmm. The, the apophyllite. So here, here's the other thing. So, and I told Jason and Rose about this. So he wrote me and said, you know, what kind of crystals do you want? Cause he knew I was re-imprinting. And I said, well, I love blue things. And he goes, Oh, I have something for you. So I'm sitting here one day minding my own business. And here comes the FedEx dude down the driveway carrying a box and I can tell it's heavy. I go out there and get it, and he's given me a bowling ball sized, and it is round. It's like a bowling ball, um, probably weighs 20, 25 pounds, I'm guessing, maybe 20 pounds. And it is, God, what did he call it? It's a quartz with a blue. When the right light hits it, there's blues all Mm -hmm. through it, but it's a quartz. And that's one thing that always amazes me is just how many variations of quartz there are which of course, where I'm living down at the beach, so much quartz down there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Quartz, blue quartz is kind of rare. So that's actually really cool. I would like to see that. <laughs> it's it's strange because when you look at it, you don't, you, you know, you're thinking, well, there's, there's really no blue here, but you see when he, and it's part of it's because he's just very perceptive. And so he had it in an office and he videoed it and I saw like the fluorescing blue. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I got it home. I'm like, I can't see the dang blue. But then I realized if the light hits it right, you can see the blue. I could send you a picture of it. It's really, it's unbelievable. I've already had to plan uh, when I die, who's going to get it. I mean, it's kind of that special. I I think it's a really valuable piece, but you know, Derek is how Gary is. He said, he said, this was yours. I just didn't know it. And he just gave it to me. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that, what that is, is is the light hitting it at the right angle because of the of the geometry inside of that crystal? That's why you can only see it at certain angles. I mean, I'm sure you figured that out, but right, it's like it's yeah. like a rainbow, right? It's the right, refraction, exactly. refraction going on, yeah, which is kind of crazy because speaking of the refraction part, there's a lot of videos online now. People don't realize that, like, if you're above a rainbow, it comes in a full circle. Right. So when you look down on it, and that relates exactly to what we're saying, because the angle at which you view a thing and the quality of the light source will determine. But let's talk about how the different types of crystals grow. Do you remember there was a big mainstream thing? Remember the crystal cave that became a big mainstream thing where there were these, I guess it was quartz, I don't know, bigger than, than human beings. And it was so hot down in this mine, they claimed 
They had to wear a special suit. You could only go in for 10 minutes. People had died there, you know, all the drama. But that Crystal Cave is one example because it was flooded. It was hot as hell. And it produced those crystals that were just enormous. Yeah, that's the cave in Mexico. I think it's Nica, Mexico. And they, um, yeah, they have pumps that continually keep it, uh, the water out of it, pump the water out of it. <laughs> I think they let it reflood, by the way. I think, yeah, they probably did let it reflood. But yeah, that's a selenite cave, actually. Those are giant selenite crystals. Mm. And yeah, it's a it's a warm underwater sort of crystalline slurry. And it's just the perfect area for those crystals to be forming and growing. Yeah. So the different types require different environments. Is that it? Because you see, like you can go on YouTube and all the crystal hunters, some of them are in mud, some of them are in caves. So what are, are there known set conditions for different types of crystals? Yeah, all the crystals, depending on the mineral, it depends on how the crystal is going to form, where it falls on the most hardness scale, and then how long it takes, what its rate of decay is. So yeah, they're all different, but essentially what they all start from is a super saturated crystalline slurry. Sometimes that is a hot slurry, like a, like anybody who's seen bismuth crystals, which is sort of which is a metal, but metals are also crystals. <laughs> so these metals, you know, you you heat them up and then they melt, but when they cool down, they harden, they crystallize again is essentially what is happening. Um, and it's, it's, so it's a little bit different for different minerals. So in salt with salt, for instance, which is also a crystal, it dissolves in water. So you just dissolve it in water. And this is like a home experiment anybody could do. If anybody who wants to witness crystals growing, you just take some salt and you dissolve it into the water and you keep mixing it, mixing it, mixing it into the water until you can no longer get any salt to dissolve in the water. And you may have just a tiny, tiny bit sitting at the bottom. And if you let that water evaporate out, well, then the crystals will start forming. You'll see cubes start growing of the salt forming out of the crystalline slurry because the water evaporates away. And then the bonds start forming because the salt molecules are bumping together. They have less room. They form a bond. They start making their cubes and they grow until the material has been used up and the conditions are no longer there. You know, that reminds me, we should talk about a crystal safety thing because I made a stupid mistake. I was told when I was getting into it at first that, oh, you can cleanse your crystals and reprogram them and you, you go put water in your bathtub, you put some salt in, which is true for some crystals. And here's the warning. You mentioned the hardness index. Mm -hmm. I had a beautiful green crystal. I don't remember the name from Hunan, China, and it should not have been put in the water. The crystal, which was gorgeous and shiny, is now dull and almost looks lifeless. So when you go, if you're going to do the water soak, you need to look up certain crystals. You shouldn't do that with. You can damage them. Anyhow, I learned the hard way. Yeah, I actually don't ever put my crystals in water after I initially clean them. The ones that I find from the mines and stuff, I'll clean them out. But once I've got them cleaned, I don't really ever put them in water again. I actually don't even think you need to put them in water to collect to like if you're trying it just for energetically cleansing them. I don't think water is necessary. I don't even think putting them in sunlight is necessary. And in fact, the sun will make your crystals lose color because a lot of these form underground. Right. So they're not growing under the sunshine like a plant. They're growing underground in the lack of sunshine. Good point. So if you put them in the sun, it can cause them to fade like amethyst. If you put an amethyst crystal and you keep it in your window 
under the sunlight, eventually that purple color will become dull. Actually, a lot of fake citrine is baked amethyst. So they bake it, they heat it up, and the color fades to that yellow color, and then they call it citrine. So if you were like, let's say you went to the Big Gem Mineral Show in New Mexico and you acquired you know, some crystals that you want to use at your house and you have no idea where they came from or you know, what would you do to make them yours and to radiate what you want them to radiate? You wouldn't soak them. You wouldn't use sunlight. Those are, by the way, if you go online, the saltwater soak and the sunlight are two things you'll hear almost like everywhere. So how would you do it? Well, there's two ways to do it. One way that I learned about is using a tuning fork, where you take a tuning fork and you strike, not a weighted one, one that actually makes sound, and you strike the tuning fork, and then you point the the sound at the crystal, and that's it. Anybody who's learned or watched any of the Marcel Vogel videos, he's the one who invented the the Vogel cut crystals for healing, that you said you have one. But yeah, he doesn't, he thinks his way of cleansing crystals is just to breathe on it because he's saying that you, everybody contains within them the same breath that caused that crystal to come into existence. So when you breathe on the crystal, you're just cleansing it with the breath of life. Wow. So I like both of those ideas. And by the way, so if you're using a tuning fork, that also gives you the ability to choose the cycles per second or so-called frequency that you want to apply. Here's what I finally did after I ruined my beautiful green Hunan crystal. I use smudge sticks, you know, sage, white sage, Mm -hmm. because I do that in my house. You know, I try to do it regularly and I saw somebody doing that with their crystals. So I smudge them as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, that wouldn't hurt. I don't think I just stick with doing the tuning fork and the, and the breath thing. I like the tuning fork. Do you pay attention to the, to the cycles? Do you, you know, with the vibrational rate of the fork you're using? I use a higher one. I typically use like 528 just because I like that one. And, and I think that's just, there's really no right or wrong to, I think it's just whatever you like, whatever feels good to you, because if it feels good to you, then it, it can't be wrong. You know, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I agree with that assessment, but 528 is a known or, or, you know, it's widely accepted as a beneficial over something like 440. Right. Right. Or you could probably use a 432 fork or whatever, any sound that you, anyone that you really like. Which comes back to the breath idea. You know, if you had singer chops, if you were op- operatic with your voice, you could sing it, right? Instead of using a tune fork, you could sing. Sure. Sure. Why not? There you go, Jason. Jason can sing. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get all biblical. In the beginning, so you referenced that you feel like crystals are mentioned as an early form of life in scripture. Not specifically, but the conditions for it. So where, where it says in the beginning, let me just go, if I don't want to misquote. Is it 1-1? One, one? Yeah, yeah, pretty much the first, the creation, right? In the creation of the world, we're talking the very beginning. And the and the earth came to be formless and empty, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the spirit of the Elohim was moving on, on the face of the waters. So to me, the darkness, the deep, you know, that to me sounds like the prime conditions, like, like you know, it's always funny when I start thinking about these things, like certain um, catchphrases that the that the mainstream science has used over the years actually apply um, to the geocentric point of view, but just in a totally different way. 
So like that could be even considered like prime, the primordial soup, right? The, the face of the waters, right? And then Elohim says, let light come to be. And that's like said, a sound wave or light and light is information. And then that's it. The spark of life happens and things start to grow. You know, the waters come up out of the deep and everything. And it's like, to me, it just sounds like the super saturated crystalline slurry. Like it's got all of the ingredients inside. It just needs that seed, that that initial spark to start. Have you ever, I'm glad I thought of this because um, you got me into Genesis 1-1, which is actually one of my favorite things to look at because of 1-6 and 1-7, where God says, let there be a firmament. And then it goes on in 7 to say that it'll divide the waters from the waters. Of course, in 8, it goes on to define firmament as heaven or sky, depending where you look it up. But you heard of this thing called the sky stone. I want to look into this. I just haven't had time where it fell some, they're, they're claiming there's an old blue stone that's 70 or 80% oxygen. Nobody supposedly knows what it is. Supposedly it fell from the sky. Supposedly it's a piece of the firmament. Are you familiar with the sky stone at all? Yeah, I have heard of that. I don't know that it's real though. You think it's poppycock? Well, there's a lot of crystals that have oxygen as part of their makeup, but I don't know. I haven't seen one that is just pure oxygen in stone form. So I. I can't say for, I don't know. They're claiming 70 or 80%. I started to, when I first saw it, I thought that's interesting. And the, the stone is a beautiful sky blue. But then I realized that when you look it up, it's all the same information, just reiterated. So there's probably a source that's being re-echoed. So it may well be pop talking. By the way, I wanted to know because I saw this again a few days ago and I wanted to go back and take a few minutes to look at the idea of it. But the more I think about it, I think it may well be poppycock. Anyhow, where do we go from here? Well, I know that other things in scripture uh, talk about crystals. There's the 12 stones that go to the 12 tribes of Israel that the priests wear on the breastplate, which a lot of people don't don't really talk about. But um, so it goes through and it mentions a lot of gems in there that they use. Is there one for each tribe? Is there one individually for each of the tribes? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Probably got abrogated into the birthstone, right? That we in the West, you know, have a birthstone for your month. Oh, possibly. You know, I never really look to compare what the birthstones are compared to what the stones they list in the scriptures are. But I know a couple of them are kind of unknown. The names don't really carry over to modern names for some of the minerals that we know of. So I'm not 100% sure what they are, but it mentions a lot of very common ones. I'm actually looking them up because I want to see again. So we have Reuben, uh, which is ruby or carnelian. Mm-hmm. Shimon, I guess I'm saying the tribe first and then the the crystal. So I'm guessing, I hope I don't mess this up. Shimon, is that the tribe? Chrysolite or emerald. Yeah, it is the tribe. Levi, because I know that's a tribe, which is onyx or topaz. Judah would be Malachite or Carbuncle. By the way, you'll find in a lot of occult writings about totems and things like that, uh, Carbuncle shows up a lot. Uh, The tribe of Yisachar, I hope I'm getting this right, and those are tribes. Uh, Yisachar would be Lapis Lazuli or Sapphire, both of those among my favorite stones. Um, In some listings, Lapis would be my birthstone, and others it would be um, the tribe Zevalun is Zircon or Diamond. That seems weird. Is Zircon a naturally occurring? Yes. Okay. I always just kind of thought that it was man-made, but there is a natural occurrence of zircon? Yes. 
but they're able to synthesize it pretty easily, so that's why they do it. Isn't it called cubic zirconia when it's synthesized? Yeah, that's I, that's the common name for well, it. Well, the, there's your angles of sorrow if it's truly cubic. Dan would be Jacinth or Zircon. The tribe of Naphtali would be Agate. The tribe of Gad would be Amethyst. The tribe of Asher would be Topaz or Aquamarine. The tribe of Joseph would be Beryl or Onyx. And the tribe of Benjamin would be Jasper. And I think they're actually listing maybe the Hebrew pronunciation. I don't know what these other things listed are. Um, But those are all, I mean, we're aware. uh, There was not one in that list that I'm not familiar with. You? No. (laughs) What's interesting is I think Levi is the, you know, the priestly tribe, right? Those were the guys that could go in the Holy of Holies and their stone is Onyx or Topaz. Those are black, are they not? Onyx, yeah. Topaz is typically dark, I think. Is it topaz? Is can be brown, kind of a yellowish brown color too. I'd be willing to bet that the idea of birthstones, you know, how you buy your birthstone for your mom or so whatever, is derived from this. I'll bet you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, actually, if you if you look at the construction too of the of the tabernacle, you know, and they use very specific metals, gold and silver and bronze in a very specific order. And even, you know, the Ark of the Covenant being made in gold. All of these are crystals. They're all crystalline matter, right? And they all have their different special properties. They all conduct electricity in a certain way. And it's all very specific. So you can tell that these things, to me, it just seems like these things are being taken into consideration when they when they give such very specific instruction to use very specific materials in a specific way. There's a purpose for it. <laughs> The woods too, right? There's very specific woods there, but you're making an interesting uh, correlation uh, between the crystal idea and the metal idea and its conductivity. But isn't it like when people go out to mine for gold, there's typically like if they find, I think it's, um, there's certain crystals like veins of crystals that tell them, isn't there a certain crystal that's typically found near gold? Yeah, actually quartz. Quartz is found with a, a lot of gold, you know, here in North Carolina, there's a huge quartz mine. This is the there was a gold rush here before the gold rush in California, and, and yeah, quartz is found with gold quite a bit. Um, copper as well. There, yeah, there's a few different minerals that they find with gold. It's crazy. I've never read that I'm aware of how gold actually forms. Are you aware of it? Have you ever come across the idea of how crystal forms is known? How does gold form in the environment? Well. I just assume it would be the same way as all of the other things form. It's, it's got to have the right conditions. It's got to have the right minerals, the right probably temperature. Uh, metals, typically, I think you would need more pressure, more temp- more um, higher temperatures to create. I think that's why they're found deeper underground. More pressure creates more heat. Uh, and there's all kinds of processes going on underground that we don't know about and don't understand. You know, I could never really presume to know how these things, how all of these things are created, but it does seem to be related to the sort of driving force of this whole realm, the elect, you know, I think it's electric, right? We think we live in an electric realm, right? So these electric processes, we can use electricity to 
heat things and and do all that sort of stuff underground. It has something to do with that, I would presume. <laughs> it's well, the the fact that I don't really have any idea on the top of my head um, tells me that it's kind of probably hidden because of the occult ideas. The occult ideas would have the idea that there's a lowest metal, maybe that's lead. But one can transmute into the other all the way up to gold. And in most of the things that I'm aware of that I've read, silver is the last thing it transmutes into before it becomes gold. But isn't it interesting that there, you know, we don't have that I'm aware of any description of how it actually happens other than, you know, oh, it's deep in the ground and there's pressure. But I'm with you. Uh, From my point of view, the only force here is electricity and all other forces, a subset of that. But Jason, you want to get anything in here? Isn't there some kind of uh, interesting relation between gold and electricity? Oh, yeah. It's highly conductive, right? It's the best conductor of electricity as far as I know, right? Yeah, it's weird. I just saw a breakdown of, of silver and gold in technology. Apparently, silver is among the most reflective. But I was reading about how no technology gets made without certain precious metals. And silver was big. But I think you're right about the gold. Right. And the Ark of the Covenant was pretty much made of pure gold. And it almost seems like they had, they're having the priest where, didn't they have like a, the priest, they tied a rope to the, to his leg when he went into the very center. So he passed out. Yeah. Right. And they could pull him out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting when you see things like that. And then you, you know, even what they call the creator Elohim, L, electricity, it's just, it's all sort of telling in this sort of way. (laughs) It is. Um, There are people who have done fantastic. You know, you get to like Mary Magdalene, which is magnetic. And then you have the L, which is the masculine idea. There are a lot of people pulling the EL idea around to Saturnian concerns, but that tends to upset a lot of people who study the Bible. But there's definitely something to the language of it. I don't don't know how you deny it. It, it's, It's recurring, right? And almost always the L could be construed as an electrical masculine idea. Mm -hmm, For sure. Oh, in the list that I just read from, (laughs) one of the rabbis who provided the list said, you have to be pure of heart when you're using the stones that I listed out because they'll be harmful to you if if you are not. Are they talking about radium or polonium or something like that? (laughs) I'm talking about the 12 I just read. You know, there's no radium or polonium in that list. You know, amethyst. Um. <laughs> well, maybe it's sort of a reference to these things sort of being amplifiers. I know quartz is an amplifier. So, right. So whatever energy you put with it, it will amplify that energy. So if you're not good, maybe that will be amplified. <laughs> well, you, you want to know something? When, so I was, I was aware of Vogel crystals. You probably know more about it than I do. But Ross from Conscious Technologies had brought it up. And so I was interested and he sent me a, I don't know, it's slightly yellowy, but when you hold it, you, it's different from every other crystal, but it is so sharp that you got to be careful. Both ends are so sharp that first you got to be careful that you don't bump it on something because it would almost certainly chip that fine, fine point, Mm -hmm. but you can feel it's just different. It's a different, very precision thing to hold into your hand. And the one I have is double terminated. Uh, what do you know about the Vogels anyhow? It's cut in a certain precision way. Yeah, it's cut with, it's double terminated. And the the angle at each termination um, 
makes the difference of the energy flow of the crystal. Like one is the is the receiving and one is the giving. And the angles, depending on how many sides, it should be amplifying the power of that crystal more time. So four would be the first one. And then six sides is is stronger. And then eight is stronger. 10, 12, whatever the numbers are that they go for. But from what I understand, I was looking at a lot of Vogel stuff the past few weeks. He was saying that once you get beyond 12, that he thought that it was just all about show. Like it didn't really, that at that point you weren't really doing anything to sort of accentuate the natural power of the crystal. So what's interesting, by the way, Vogel died in 91 based on what I'm looking at here, but listen to this. The receptive, sometimes called female end of the crystal, must be faceted, forming an internal angle of, wait for this, 51 degrees, 51 minutes, 51 seconds. Each of those, of course, summing to six, falling within uh, the Tesla idea of three, six, and nine having very important role in our world. And it says that most, the, the crystal must have a minimum of four or more sided facets to be considered a Vogel cut. Yeah, that makes sense. I think they start at four. Well, that's the other thing. So I told you just now about what the degrees must be on the receptive or female end. When I got mine, it informed me which end was which, because you're supposed to hold it up to like your third eye. The other end is called the transmitter, which would be male, and it must be faceted with a more acute internal angle than the receptive end according to what I'm reading here, but there really is something to it. It goes on to say that four-sided crystals are for healing for the physical body. Six-sided crystals are used for emotional healing and ailments. Eight-sided crystals are used for dealing with severe emotional trauma. 13-sided for meditation or to connect with past lives. 21-sided crystals are used to resolve family issues. I've never seen anything like this. 24 Slash eight sided crystals are for spiritual rebirth. 24 slash 12 sided crystals are used for transformation efforts. Do you buy into any of that? Have you, are you familiar with any of that? Mm, no, no. But like I said, what, what I what I was reading from Marcel Vogel's stuff is that once you get beyond, once you get to those high numbers, that it really wasn't serving any purpose. I mean, you know, and, and I did a lot of studying of crystals even before I started looking at Paul Vogel stuff. Like all crystals can be used for healing, all of them, especially the raw ones, the normal ones that are just as they were the day they pulled, you pulled them out of the dirt. <laughs> you know, they can all be used for healing. Um, and it doesn't really, it just goes about whatever crystal you like. You know, people always ask me, what what kind of crystal should I start getting for healing? Well, just whatever you like, whatever makes you happy, because that is your energy responding to the, to the energy of that crystal and saying, oh yeah, I like that. That makes me feel good. Take it home, put it in your space. That's (laughs) what I did. Exactly. And that's what you just start doing. And it just helps the overall energy of the home. I've got them all over my house and I will probably forever have crystals all over my house (laughs) because they just, they just work. They just just by being there, they work. So let's talk a minute. So exactly what you said is what I did. I did the same thing. Well, what crystal should I get? And I was told exactly the same thing you just said. Well, you go in and what you're drawn to, what strikes your fancy, what calls to you. And that's what I did. And that's how I ended up with that huge chunk of apophyllite that Derek had the other side of. But so I set about 
with a clear idea that I wanted to re-imprint my house because I am about five miles from a tower that goes up, I don't know, hundreds of feet. It goes way the hell up. And there was a time in this house when I was going crazy because I could always hear the frequencies. You know, it was driving me mad. And I almost always heard it in my left ear. And I almost always heard it the worst at night. That's where I got the idea that I can re-imprint this house. So I set about to do it. There's three parts that I based what I did on. The first part is to get crystals. The second part is to employ sound. The third part is to control Wi-Fi. So I did exactly what you said. I went out and I began to collect the crystals that I was drawn to based on which rooms I felt like would be the most beneficial to try to block the negative Wi-Fi that's coming in from everywhere, particularly that big honking tower. And so there were three rooms that I centered on the master bedroom, the uh, one side of the living room and my house is laid out a bit weird. So the other one is the other side of that same space. And I did that. I cleansed them. I smudged them, unfortunately damaged some that I soaked that I shouldn't have. And I put my intention in them. I placed them strategically. And then I set about putting in a whole house audio system so that I could play Sofeggios and other things to try to reprint the house. Lastly, I hardwired everything in this house that can be hardwired and reduced the Wi-Fi point to one point that can be turned off most of the time when I'm not using it. So of explaining all that to you, have you done anything, by the way, have you done anything similar in your space? Have you tried to reprint your house in the way that I'm describing? I did, but totally different reason. (laughs) I did it because I got out of a really bad abusive relationship and I went through a divorce and we were living in this house when that was going on. So after he left, I just wanted that whole bad, dark energy to go away. And, you know, I started burning sage and, and then into crystals. I got lots of black tourmaline and put it around the house. I also got four selenite wands and I put one in each corner of my house. And then, of course, I've just over the years, I just keep adding and adding and adding. And now it just it's I feel like all of that is gone. All of that, that bad energy, that that leftover residual I don't know if it's sort of like a parasitic frequency that that comes around but I like, feel like an imprint I yeah that's what I call it like it like a bad imprint and by the way I didn't mention the smudging I, I am a firm firm believer in smudging with quality sage and whenever I grow my herb garden there is never a year that I don't put in a sage part of it's because I miss California and sage is a big part of the eastern county wilds of San Diego, but the smudging that really works. Not only it's the moment you smell it, you just feel better. When I smudge, I, the guy who showed me how to do it was one of the members of one of the indigenous tribes here. You make a clockwise circle with your hand as you go through, but he goes through everywhere to every corner, particularly to the corners in every room. So that's what I do. And when you get done, there's that pleasant smell, but you, I don't know about you. It's palpable. I can feel a difference. So I am wholesale accepting that smudging works. I would agree with that. And I do that too. I go to every single corner, Yep. every corner, Yep. through the whole house. How do you move it? Do you do the clockwise thing? No, I had 
I just had a feather and I have this old abalone shell that my grandmother had and I keep my sage in the abalone shell and I was just burning it in there and I just walking around with the feather, just making sure it got into every corner. It's strange that, that you and I have that same instinct to get to those angles of sorrow where the insects collect. Yeah. Do you choose a, I, I love the white sage, but I've had friends go out into the wilds and collect the sage that grows out there. It's much It's much more stout. It is a version of white sage. Do you use a particular sage? Mm, Well, I I got some smudge sticks from this Native American store in the the Appalachian Mountains a while back. That's what I'd been using. I don't know if there's anything special about it. I think it is white sage. I don't think you can go wrong. Basically, white sage is classified as a sun plant, first of all. And if you do a... you know, it's getting harder to look up quality information about things like herbs, unless you know what you're doing. I've been doing it so long. Um, this is why having old books is a big deal. Those old books on herbology and things like that give you valuable information. And sage is typically classified as a sun herb, but the power of it is incredible. And I cook with it too. Unfortunately, my wife, as she got older, doesn't care as much for the taste of sage, which is odd. Because there's a thing that there that we have in Rhode Island that's not even, I don't even know if they sell it in San Diego. It's almost unknown. It's called bell seasoning. It's the kind of thing you'd make like a turkey stuffing with or a stuffed quahog. But one of the main ingredients in it is the sage and everybody loves it. But I, I digress. The point I would make is if you're growing almost any kind of sage, I think you could easily smudge with it and it would be effective. And for me, the moment you smell it burn, I think, you know, because that feeling will wash over you. For sure. I love it. (laughs) So Karen, we're going to have you lay down how people can find you and you have some announcements to make. What we'll have is when Jason does the edit, he'll cut it into the beginning of this open public first hour. Okay. So just tell folks the things that you want them to be aware of in terms of events and also where they can contact you or uh, review your work, that kind of thing. Okay. You can find me at Karen B channel on YouTube. Well, right now it's actually hidden because I've got two strikes on YouTube. So that's actually not up right now, (laughs) but maybe it will be up by the time the show show airs. I don't know. Um, But the best way to find me is to go to flat earthfestivals.com or flattoberfest.com. If you go to those URLs, you can find the information about all my events. There's a menu item that says contact Karen B and you can click there. And I have links to all my channels on Rockfin, Twitch, Rumble, all those different places because, you know, YouTube is, it's up and down. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a fan of YouTube, but you guys got events that both you and Jason are going to be at too. Yeah, so I do a yearly event called Flattoberfest, which is an event based around the idea that we live in a level stationary geocentric realm. And this year we're going to be in Las Vegas. It's October 21st and 22nd of 2023 in Las Vegas. And you can go to those URLs I mentioned, flattoberfest.com, flatearthfestivals.com for info and, and tickets and all of that good stuff. And yeah, Jason has been part of quite a few of my events and it's really awesome. I don't know. Are you going to play music this year, Jason? Or are you just doing a talk? I uh, hadn't brought up to me about music, but I'm definitely having a uh, presentation. Okay, cool. Well, we can do you're that. Not, you're not going to rock the house, Jason? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's the first I've heard about uh, wanting to do music this year. I wasn't sure how different this one's going to be since everything was always in the Carolinas. 
Yeah. And I've been at every one that you've put on. And then uh, this one's going to be in Las Vegas. So I didn't know how different things were going to be. It'll probably be similar to last year where we're going to have presentations and then close the day out with music. So I have Chief Crow coming back to play music. He's fun. What tribe is he from? <laughs> He's not from a tribe. He just, that's just what he calls himself. Chief Crow and the Flat Earthworms. Ah. <laughs> A little slow on the uptake. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's an interesting, really talented guy. Really nice fellow. Very fond of him. So I have a suggestion. Since they just did the fake there's aliens and EBEs announcement in Congress, and since they just did the fake aliens crash landed in Vegas, you guys are going to be in Vegas, Jason. Maybe you should play like Billy Thorpe's Children of the Sun uh, to, to further <laughs> the, the fakeness of it all. Well, I guess I could do that. I'm sure there's a, a whole playlist we could make making fun of aliens and alien invasion and all that. Oh, yeah. And they're pushing that stuff so hard now. It's coming. Well, it's in the congressional record now. That's what they did yesterday. I saw it all over the place. I was going to ask, Jason. So that was because I someone sent me the clip and you know me, I don't really care. But that was just yesterday, right? That was yesterday. Wayne sent me the whole thing if I wanted to watch. It was like two and a half hours. But he did a write up of the uh, pertinent points, as he always does. So it was supposed to be three of the whistleblowers, and it was all being read into the congressional records, and there were questions being asked. So that is now an official part of our Congress. And miraculously, these guys who knew secret things that are not allowed to be talked about, they can go to Congress and talk about it. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking amazing. Thank you guys for risking your lives to bring this desperate information to the unwashed masses. Anyhow, anything else you guys want to add, or shall we wrap up and prep for hour two? So what's going to be different this time with Flattoberfest, Karen, since we're going to be in Las Vegas? Oh, well, this time it'll be different because we're actually going to be international because there's no travel restrictions this year. So I've got two speakers coming from the UK. Amanda Vollmer is actually going to be joining us there, too. She's from Canada. And I've also got people that have already um, purchased tickets who will be traveling from overseas to attend the event. So that'll be different. I think there'll be a lot more people at this one. And it, it'll be um, a really a lot of fun. So what month is it? October. October. Oh, of course. Flattober. Duh. Devlin's going to be there. Yes. Mark Devlin, Dave Murphy. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to prep. I apologize. I'm a little spacey today. I slept a whopping three hours last night. I did not have a good night's sleep, which uh, means I'm having a nap when we get done here. But anyhow, that's hour one of episode 527 with Jason Lingren and Karen B covering primarily crystals that are near and dear to my heart. I think everyone should have an interest in herbs. I think everyone should have an interest in crystals, if for no other reason to get you closer to the truths that reside only in the natural world or the creation for those of you who have a religious bone in your body. With that, hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They also get free access to all the forums. There are many to the comments under each episode, which is specific to that topic, and to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, which has something like 10 awards out on the film circuit, and uh, it covers all my telescope work. With that, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era as we prep up and get ready to deliver hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.
the enemy of knowing.